Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about climate change. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. Minnesota recently became the first state in the Union to ban TCE, short for trichloroethylene, a volatile organic compound that's used to manufacture refrigerant chemicals and is also used as a solvent for decreasing and as a spot cleaner in dry cleaning. It's also in several common household products such as carpet cleaners, spot removers, shoe polish, adhesives, sealants, and fabric spray. TCE is ubiquitous in our air and water and in contaminated waste sites. The EPA classifies TCE as a human carcinogen through all its roots of exposure. Further, the chemical harms male reproduction, causes neurological damage, and is a liver and kidney toxin. In a 2014 risk assessment, the EPA said that the groups most vulnerable to TCE exposure are pregnant women using household sprays containing TCE and workers, including pregnant women, using vapor degreasers containing TCE. TCE is also linked to fetal heart defects. Minnesota's new law, which both chambers of its legislature passed by large majorities, bans the use of TCE in any facility required to have a state-issued air permit, including any manufacturing, processing, or cleaning processes. Though the EPA has long been aware of TCE's dangers, it has repeatedly failed to take action on the chemical. Hundreds of Superfund toxic waste sites contain TCE contamination. In fact, Spencer, Indiana's only Superfund site, is contaminated with TCE, probably from a defunct dry cleaners. The Consumer Product Safety Commission is an important federal consumer watchdog agency. President Trump has nominated Nancy Beck, chief of the EPA's chemical office, to chair it. Beck has stymied the EPA's efforts to regulate a ubiquitous chemical, trichloroethylene, or TCE. TCE is a carcinogen and causes fetal heart malformations and other serious health problems. Before she joined the EPA, Beck was a longtime senior lobbyist for the American Chemical Council, the chemical industry's foremost trade and lobbying group. Government scientists have been directed to evaluate TCE for its adverse health effects and found several. However, the scientists received instructions from President Trump's office to ignore the science on TCA's role in fetal heart defects. Beck, according to the radio program Reveal, has a long record of opposing regulation 
of TCE. As a toxicologist early in her career, she took an obscure job in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs within the Office of Management and Budget during George W. Bush's presidency. One EPA official said Beck was hired to be the, quote, hitman for the industry, end quote. Beck is responsible for the slow speed at which EPA conducted evaluations of chemicals, health, and environmental effects, according to a congressional report. As that report pointed out, her office dealt with TCE on nearly a daily basis. The Senate is tasked with assessing Beck's qualifications to chair the Consumer Protection Safety Commission. Several nonprofit environmental advocacy organizations are urging senators to reject her nomination on the grounds of her record on TCE at EPA. A renewable energy company has asked local government officials in Indiana to address zoning regulations for utility-scale solar farms as it moves forward on a $242 million, 200-megawatt project. The Riverstart Solar Park would include 670,000 photovoltaic solar panels on 1,400 acres in southwest Randolph County and produce enough energy to power about 37,000 households, the largest such project in the state. The county said in a news release that it is poised to be a leader of renewable energy in Indiana. It's already home to an ethanol plant and a wind farm that is doubling in size. An environmental group says the solar farm could attract tourists if it is developed to help wildlife, including pollinators like birds and bees. But even if it doesn't attract visitors, the project will benefit the local economy in several ways. For size comparison purposes, the solar installation at Indianapolis International Airport has a capacity of about 20 megawatts, or a tenth the size of Riverstart. Iowa legislators have passed a new so-called ag-gag bill making people exposing animal exploitation on factory farms criminals. This was the third time the legislature passed such a bill, the intent of which is to silence whistleblowers and people exposing animal abuse. The bill creates a new crime, quote, food operation trespass, directed at any person who enters a facility where an animal grown for food is kept or where meat is sold or processed. Animal rights activists have repeatedly publicized videos and photos from Iowa farms revealing sick or injured animals and appalling overcrowded living conditions. In some cases, activists have obtained jobs at factory farms to film the activities. In others, activists have entered facilities secretly to film conditions there. Under the new law, someone who trespasses for the first time would have to serve up to two years in prison and pay a fine of as much as $6,000. Entering the farm a second time would result in a felony charge with a sentence of as much as five years of incarceration and a fine of up to $7,500. The first time the Iowa legislature passed an ag-gag bill, it was overturned on the grounds that it violated the First Amendment. The second such bill is in limbo because a constitutional challenge to it is moving through the courts. President Trump has issued an executive order claiming to, quote, promote American seafood competitiveness and economic growth, end quote. In reality, it permits offshore aquaculture, 
or so-called fish farms in federal waters with reduced environmental protections. The order will slowly destroy regulations on the operation of fish farms and open huge ocean areas to exploitation by the industry. Oceans, which cover 71% of the Earth's surface and hold about 97% of its water, are in trouble. By the year 2100, if things don't change, more than half the world's marine species might be on the brink of extinction. The reasons are, one, 60% of the world's major marine ecosystems have been degraded or are being used unsustainably. Two, increased atmospheric carbon dioxide as it dissolves in the oceans, acidifies them and threatens plankton, the basis of oceanic food change. This acidification can corrode coral reefs and the shells of mollusks. And three, commercial overfishing is so serious that as much as 13% of global fisheries have collapsed. According to the environmental advocacy group Beyond Pesticides, instead of promoting further industrial exploitation and pollution of the oceans, we need regulation of aquaculture that prohibits the use of pesticides, antibiotics, and genetically engineered fish and shellfish. Plus, it should prohibit the use of plastic in net pens and other structures, and also prohibit overcrowding, which leads to parasites and diseases. Further, in shellfish operations, the oceans require protection of the organisms living at the bottom. In addition, it's essential to establish more marine protected areas to conserve the biodiversity of the oceans and to maintain the productivity of fish stocks. Australian researchers captured a stunning scene when they took a new approach to counting green turtles near their nesting area. They used drones to count them. The drones the scientists used recorded approximately 64,000 green turtles migrating near Australia's Great Barrier Reef for nesting season, as CNN reported. The footage from the Queensland government's Department of Environment and Science spotted the turtles congregating at the world's largest green turtle rookery at Rain Island, a vegetated coral island located northwest of Queensland, according to CNN. The sheer number of turtles surprised the scientists, who realized they had underestimated the number of green turtles in the area by 50% using old methods. Quote, we were underestimating that a lot. We're finding almost twice as many turtles with the drone than when we directly uh, compare with observer counts, end quote. According to Dr. Andrew Dunstan, the lead author of the study, the team plans to go back and adjust historic population estimates. Prior to using drones, researchers would count turtles as they landed on the beach to lay eggs. They would then mark the turtles with a non-toxic paint to track them in the ocean. However, accurately counting thousands of painted and unpainted turtles from a boat in the water proved difficult and unreliable. Dunstan added, quote, Using a drone is easier, safer, much more accurate, and the data can be immediately and permanently stored. WFHB has reported on accelerated logging of rainforests during the COVID outbreak. The reason for this was decreased oversight. Now satellite data collated for the World Resources Institute has shown primal rainforest was lost across 14,000 square miles globally last year, ruining habitats and releasing carbon once locked in wood into the atmosphere. This count by the University of Maryland means that last year was the third most devastating year for primary forests, comprising old growth trees and highly diverse wildlife, 
since scientists began such surveys two decades ago. Brazil burned, logged, and bulldozed a third of the area lost, with the Democratic Republic of Congo and Indonesia placed second and a distant third, respectively. Quote, Primary forest loss was 3% higher in 2019 than the year before and has remained stubbornly high for the last two decades despite efforts to halt deforestation, end quote, exclaimed the study's authors. Brazil's losses preceded President Bolsonaro's legislative moves to loosen rules that would otherwise protect regions from mineral extraction and agriculture. Deforestation across the Amazon was nearing a threshold that, once crossed, would see it morph into arid savanna within 50 years. A new United Nations report is telling governments that the solution to the economic depression that COVID-19 has triggered is to greatly increase funding for renewable energy and hasten the transition away from fossil fuels. The findings show that doing so is a better investment now than ever before. Inger Anderson, executive director of the United Nations Environment Program, said, quote, The chorus of voices calling on governments to use their COVID-19 recovery packages to create sustainable economics is growing. This research shows that renewable energy is one of the smartest, most cost-effective investments they can make in these packages, end quote. The price of installing solar and wind energy equipment is plummeting. The report estimates that two-thirds of the global population now live in countries where either solar or wind is the least expensive electricity option and that costs are probably going to keep decreasing. The report says, quote, if this chance is missed, it may be even more difficult to find the funding to decarbonize the energy system in a post-COVID-19 economy characterized by elevated government debt and squeezed private section finances, end quote. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sanz from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about climate change. Quick, what do farmers grow in Indiana? I give you a second there, but most Hoosiers didn't need it. The answer, corn and soybeans, flash like lightning in their mind, faster probably than a mouth can utter the words. From the beginning of time, when man first learned that the sowing of seed in the earth would bring forth crops in abundance, farmers have been raising the crops that feed and clothe the multitudes. After nearly a century of success, it may be time to rethink Indiana's agricultural system. At least that's what some researchers from around the Midwest are saying. More than two dozen experts from Midwestern universities and organizations say the COVID-19 crisis has revealed the region's nearly century-old agriculture system needs to transform in order to remain sustainable and profitable. Those experts wrote an essay saying the region's current corn and soybean monocrop system is not serving the needs of farmers, consumers, or the environment, and needs to be re-envisioned for the current century. The experts whose disciplines include agriculture, economics, and other specialties said the current crop system grew out of a need to provide an inexpensive and secure food supply after the Dust Bowl of the 1930s, but it is now outdated and is causing economic, social, and environmental problems. This is Linda Prokopi, Professor of Natural Resources Social Science at Purdue University. 
So I think the origins of our dominant monocrop system, and I think we can call corn and soybeans effectively a single monocrop, right? Because they just, they work in rotation and can't have one without the other, really. That it emerged out of a desire after the Dust Bowl to feed people and to feed people cheaply. And we designed a whole lot of federal policies to do that and to support farmers to grow corn and soybeans, even in years when they didn't grow very well, we still effectively paid farmers through subsidized crop insurance and other types of policies to continue growing corn and soybeans. And what we're increasingly seeing now is that that system, even before COVID-19, that that system really wasn't serving the needs of farmers. Growing corn and soybeans is important, as about 75% of all grocery store items contain corn of some kind, and both corn and soybeans are used for animal feed. But Procopy said limited markets for those crops have forced farmers to make their operations larger to grow and sell more crops to earn a profit. That has caused a series of problems for individual farmers, including increasing farm bankruptcies, declining farm employment, and climbing farmer suicide rates. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, before the COVID-19 crisis, net farm income in the U.S. was expected to increase by $3.1 billion in 2020. But at the same time, the average net cash farm income was expected to decrease nearly 9% even before the pandemic drove crop prices down. This is an excerpt from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago's latest quarterly newsletter. This is the Chicago Fed's senior business economist, David Opadal. Agricultural bankers and farmers are in a very uncertain state right now as far as what the future holds. There's a lot of concern about the direction of agricultural markets at the same time that they're hopeful that we might be at the bottom. Um, there's just no way to know at this time. More farmers have had to take out loans to expand to keep above the profit margin or just continue operating their farm. Because of that and other factors, farm debt is expected to increase by $9.7 billion in the U.S. Farmers may be having difficulties keeping up with those loans. As bankers said, they have already seen a decline in the rate of loan repayment. In 2019, the number of farmers filing for Chapter 12 bankruptcy nationwide rose by 24%. The American Farm Bureau Federation found that more farmers filed for bankruptcy in the Midwest than in any other region of the U.S. Although Indiana actually saw a decrease in the number of farmers that declared Chapter 12 bankruptcy between 28 and 2019. It's really hard to be a farmer. And I, I have a huge amount of respect for farmers that I work with, and many of them are corn soybean farmers, because it's tough, right? And it's hard. We've seen increasing farmer suicides. We've certainly seen the deterioration of many rural communities, as many people have left the local localities, as farms have gotten larger and there's less need for farm workers, etc., with consolidation. Researchers found that between 1992 and 2010, farmers had a suicide rate above all other occupations, and self-employed farmers were even more at risk for suicide due to financial stress. At least 450 farmers committed suicide between 2014 and 2018. The actual number may be higher, but variances in record-keeping by states and redactions in data shroud the truth. It's unclear how farmers will deal with the added difficulties imposed by the pandemic, but Procopy said the virus has made more people aware of problems existing in the current system. When COVID-19 hit, it has, a, well, it has a huge impact on every sector of society, obviously. But, but we're seeing a lot in the news about the impact on agriculture, right? With consolidated meat processing plants, with farmers having to throw away, you know, basically till food back into the ground because they're losing markets for it. 
COVID-19 really, I think, shines a light on the lack of resilience in our current system that many of us already obviously were aware that resilience wasn't there, right? But COVID-19 is, is, is emphasizing that. And I think it's really, hopefully, will serve as an impetus to move to, move to this kind of change sooner rather than later. Procopy and her colleagues said the virus has made painfully clear that the agricultural sector at all levels must acknowledge and accept that corn and soybeans alone are not enough. They said it is necessary to increase the diversity of agricultural systems at farm, landscape, and market and supply chain levels so they are more resilient for farmers, rural communities, and the environment. The researchers recommend land diversification plans like incorporating small grains and forage crops into extended rotations, replacing some corn and soybean acres with perennial bioenergy crops, incorporating agroforestry, more cover crops, and horticultural food crops and other plants. The researchers said land diversification must be paired with the development of local and regional processing infrastructure and less reliance on lengthy supply chains and consolidated markets to allow farmers and food businesses to be financially viable. Procopy said the current system makes it difficult for farmers to branch out and try to adopt new farming strategies. Right, farmers themselves were, are struggling financially, but don't have an, an obvious way out. There are some farmers who have innovated and have developed other crops, integrated livestock back onto the land, found their own markets. So there's an example just north of here, I'm in West Lafayette, Indiana, and there's a farmer just north of here who has free range cattle and sells direct to a restaurant in Chicago, right? Not every farmer can sell directly to a restaurant in Chicago, right? There are limited markets for alternative crops. And so it's really hard for farmers to step out of the dominant corn-soybean rotation when being subsidized by the government and other things are not being subsidized by the government and they have to develop their own markets, et cetera, versus having more support and more innovation in terms of developing alternate markets and working to try and change how consumers think about food and what consumers are willing to buy. The U.S. Department of Agriculture administers about $20 billion in agricultural entitlement programs yearly that support farm income, help farmers after disasters, and conserve natural resources. Most of those programs focus on helping farmers who plant crops on a short list of approved commodities. Programs like the Agricultural Risk Coverage pay farmers when actual crop revenue declines below a specified level. The Price Loss Coverage Program provides payments to farmers when the price of one of 22 covered commodities, which includes corn and soybeans, falls below a reference price set by the USDA. Other federal laws like the Renewable Fuel Standard encourage the growth of certain crops for non-food purposes. The RFS requires every gallon of gasoline sold to be mixed with a certain volume of renewable fuels made from starch feedstocks like corn and grain sorghum. These and other federal measures most often available only to traditional farming systems makes it difficult for farmers to be flexible in the crops they grow. Procopy said many federal agricultural assistance programs should be re-examined. She said crop insurance policies should be expanded to include more crops and should not contain restrictions that will limit the farmer's ability to be flexible and creative. She said she believes everyone in the agricultural supply chain from farmer to supplier to farming bureau should get together and think through a vision of what the future of farming could be in the Midwest to fulfill the needs of both producers and consumers. But I think we need to be thinking big and really thinking through questions with everyone from farmers through all the way through to consumers about what do we want to be? What do we value as a society? And what, what would we like the landscape to look like? 
The American Farm Bureau Federation, a national insurance company and lobbying group for the agriculture industry, has not said whether it supports the changes to the current crop system. In a written statement to the Indiana Environmental Reporter Shelby Myers, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation said, Many factors shape a farmer's decision on which crops to plant, and that farmers have to hope for the best, plan for the worst, and then take a gamble with Mother Nature. A federal agriculture assistance program that will begin accepting applications in June will offer assistance to a diverse variety of commodities. The coronavirus food assistance program pays farmers who have suffered a 5% or more price decline in their commodity or have had losses due to market supply chain disruptions due to COVID-19 and face additional market costs. The eligible commodities in the program include 11 types of non-specialty crops including corn and soybeans, a wide array of specialty crops like fruits, vegetables, and nuts, three types of livestock, dairy, and wool. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op grocery store since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, national, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Join the Hoosier Hikers Council for a trail work day on Saturday, June 20th. Work will take place from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. with a break for lunch. Meet at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers office near Cloverdale. Please plan to social distance while working. Have a mask handy when close to people and bring your own tools, gloves, and lunch. The Love Our Land contest is open for, to 1st through 12th grade students in southern Indiana who are interested in nature and the creative arts. Students are encouraged to share information about invasive species through writing, music, dance, or visual arts. All submissions are due by Tuesday, June 30th. HTP colon slash slash mc dash iris dot org slash love dash our dash land dash contest dot html for more information and how to enter. Kayaks are a wonderful way to experience Monroe Lake and social distance at the same time. A beginning kayaking workshop is scheduled at the Paintown State Recreation Area on Sunday, June 21st, and again on Sunday, June 28th, beginning at 6.30 p.m. Please register by today at bit.ly slash beginkayak62120.
And that wraps up our show for this week. The Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.